This is the Data Privacy Detective, and we're turning our spy glance today to three developments from February 2023. But before we do that, spread the word, everybody. March the 9th is National Slam the Scam Day. That's courtesy of the U.S. Social Security Administration. It's a day to help protect your loved ones with tips on how to stop Social Security scammers from stealing identities and Social Security benefits. And a summary of the advice is really pretty simple. The details will be interesting, but ignore the scammers and report their criminal behavior. And you can do that through a click on the real U.S. Social Security Administration site. Well, joining me today are two colleagues at Frost Brown Todd LLP. That's a coast-to-coast law firm with a strong data privacy and security team. And with me today are Mike Natardi and Hugo Nagashima. Mike, thanks for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to be here, Joe. And Hugo, you've been here before. Thank you as well. It's great to be here. Well, let's let's start to California, the Sunshine State, although they had snow in San Francisco. How about that? But certainly recognized as the most advanced U.S. state in regulating personal information and its security. Uh, and I understand in February, the California Privacy Protection Agency Board did something worth talking about. Mike, what happened? Yeah, that's a great question, Joe. And, and, and finally, the, the board has released uh, the, the proposed regulations and the final statement of reasons that are going to be the, the regulations that implement the new CPRA, which amends the CCPA. They finally have released those final proposed rules that are now set to be um, approved by the California Office of Administrative Law. Acronyms here. So you're talking about the California Privacy Rights Act that followed what had been in place a year before the California CPPA that you're talking about. So what, what, did, what, did, what did the board do? Well, the board issued the, the, these final regulations that are going to be implementing the, the changes to the law. Okay. And what's it going to cover? Well, it's going to cover quite a bit. And that's the reason why it actually was supposed to have done this quite a while ago. And that's why this is some news, uh, because the, the new law came into, went into effect actually this past January, but it didn't have the regulations, it weren't even released. The final regulations were not even released and they're not going to be official now, even though they've, they've now been finally released. They're not going to be official until around April sometime when we expect the California Office of Administrative Law to uh, confirm all of these regulations. So there's been a law that's been going, that's been effective that hasn't had regulations to implement the law. And so that's why this is a big piece of news. Um, there are several things in this in this law that are that are of note that I think our our listeners are going to be interested in. Yeah, give us the top uh, the the, the headlines uh, the highlights, uh, Mike. Well, there it, it's it's very hard out of 66 pages of regulations to to boil it down. But I think that well, pick our, your pick your favorites. What what are the things people really ought to know about the top the top? Well. I think that that our clients that that do work as what what are known as service providers, um, they're they're going to have more contractual requirements to be uh, kept service providers and and not known as a third party, which would uh, get them into a sale or sharing bucket, which means that uh, organizations or individuals would have the right to opt out of the selling or sharing of their information. And so that just means that there are more contractual hoops that our clients are going to have to jump through. Um, that These regulations came out and, and gave some teeth, really, to what the law says and gave some good examples for us to follow. Um, so that's number one. The, the second part is, is that 
they, there's a lot of talk of, of what's known as cross-contextual behavioral advertising. Now let's pause on uh, that. Cross-contextual behavioral advertising. What is that? Well, that is essentially where um, one organization is taking pieces of personal information and combining it with pieces from another place to, to advertise, okay, uh, to specific individuals. Um, and if, if you're involved in that, if you're if you're sharing information uh, with another entity for the purpose of cross-contextual behavior advertising, um, that would be deemed a quote unquote share under the new law, which individuals can opt out of, can opt out of their information being used that way. And so once again, we talk about our service providers, our clients that are in this space in order to not be caught up in that, uh, they would have to. Well, they, they can't be involved in cross-contextual behavior advertising um, with the personal information that is provided to them. Yeah, so I just I just wanted to follow up on, on the same vein, right? Isn't there also issues with uh, dark patterns? Uh, hasn't that been a big topic as well? Can you can you explain what that is? Yeah, that's a that's I think it's an interesting that that entire topic of dark patterns is very interesting. And here, it, a lot of it relates to uh, the the nature in which organizations obtain consent and whether or not if if they if the the way that their um, web pages and the information that they're providing uh, to individuals and in going through the process of using their information or obtaining their consent if that's deemed to be a dark pattern which the the new regulations are going to are, are defining now um, then that consent would not be proper and then then let's say if I gave somebody consent to sell or share my information, if there was a dark pattern that was used in, as a part of that process, that would negate my consent. And then that information would still be considered a quote unquote sell or share under the law. That's interesting. And a dark pattern would be something, take me, if it's a, a dark pattern about me, it'd be something that substantially subverts or impairs my uh, autonomy or my decision making. Is that the right. essence of what a dark pattern is? That's exactly right. Something that would, it, it, it's leading you to a conclusion um, and not really giving you a clear choice. And and so the, the, the way that they would manipulate the terms or the web page or the design or whatever it be, any type of pattern in order to get you to the choice that they want you to make. Um, without you really having any uh, autonomy, the ability to make your own decision. Very different from what the dark web is. It, uh, it's Correct. Something really that people need to begin to understand, given the reach of California. And there, you know, 66 pages is mentioned. We can't, uh, we're just trying to take five minutes of topics so you'll know what to look at. But a lot of stuff there to look at, including uh, that uh, I, uh, all businesses now, would you both agree, uh, better uh, honor opt-out preference signals from consumers? Oh, definitely. I think that this is a, it, there's a couple of, of, of things here with the opt-out preference signal, at least from for my standpoint, is that if if individuals are using them and, and you're selling or sharing information in California and, and this applies to you, you definitely want to be able to respond to that But and, and to honor those requests. But the other thing is, is that if you are selling or sharing uh, information and you know it and you've got these opt-out alternatives on your website, mm -hmm. uh, using the opt-out preference signals could, could be a lot easier than having to respond to the requests uh, through the forms and, and stuff on your website. So I think it's so it's something that you should and you have to do legally, but it can also be a good way to uh, to implement the opt-out and the sharing anyways. Important stuff for businesses to know about if they're going to comply and for consumers to know what their rights are under what California has done. Well, let, let's turn to what might be 
the United States National Enforcement Agency for Data Privacy. It isn't called that. It's called the Federal Trade Commission. But they've been increasingly assertive uh, in dealing with data privacy as part of uh, what they do to combat unfair and deceptive practices of uh, national businesses. So, you, you go. let me turn to you on this one. Uh, what did sure. the commission do recently uh, with regard to a company called GoodRx? Yes. So, you know, uh, before I just dive in on what happened and what happened is an enforcement action, but GoodRx is a company that people have to understand what they do. So it's a telehealth and prescription drug drug discount provider online. And the FTC said their practices basically violated the health breach notification rule. The health and breach that was notification the- rule of the FTC? It's not the FTC, but it's 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 a separate law. It's not under the FTC Act, but it's a separate law. Interesting. So the FTC is saying we have this federal law, but we're going to enforce it. Right. Okay. And what they, did they it have do? That what is it? What is what is the complaint? And it's a complaint at this stage. No adjudication at this point. Is that right? That's right. That's right. There was um, there was a settlement, so there's no adjudication by a court or an agency or or administrative law judge. It was it was settled. But so the FTC basically alleged that GoodRx failed to notify customers that GoodRx was disclosing the consumer's personal health information to uh, platforms like Facebook, Google, and other companies without their consent. Okay. So people would go to GoodRx to order a prescription of some sort, and they didn't know that Facebook was getting this information? That's right. But they would see ads and as you can imagine, users of GoodRx, uh, the customers of GoodRx, if they went on Facebook or let's say search something on Google, uh, they would see targeted advertising. So what, what GoodRx was doing is monetizing the personal health information of their customers, You know, not just from the sales of the products, but also by disclosing it and sharing it with places like Facebook. Okay. And this, now I think, Almost everybody knows what HIPAA is. If you've been to a doctor, you know what HIPAA is. At least you've heard about it. And that now that's right. not an FTC rule. That that's out of the you know the law, uh, stat, a national statute about protecting health data. And right. is, is this what was being enforced, or is it this health breach notification rule that you talked about? That is a that is a great question. I think that's what what led to to some of the interest in this in this is that typically whenever we think health and we think breach and we think notification we think HIPAA but right. you're exactly right this this actual uh regulation um is does not apply to HIPAA or HIPAA covered entities or business associates it applies to to uh, professional uh health record companies and and related entities and third start third party service providers that deal in these types uh, of, of information. And as a matter of fact, this rule, so the rule is very similar in, in the type of what, what constitutes a, a breach and what would constitute notice. That's very similar in that regard, but in whom it covers, it's completely different. As a matter of fact, the law preempts, um, it, it, it takes out of, out of its uh, jurisdiction companies that are covered by HIPAA and business associates. So it gives rights to consumers they may not even know they have, and and it co- may cover exactly businesses right. that don't know they're covered by it. And this was big that, news. That's I understand exactly right. it. It's what a ten year, ten year or more old uh, guideline that just hadn't been enforced, and now the FTC's uh, claiming to be the enforcer and got a settlement. Correct? It did. Yeah, so one point five billion dollars too. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that'll help with the with our national deficit. Well, in the last few minutes, let's let's jump across the pond to the European Union. More than 400 million people have a greater population than the United States. And I, probably everybody listening to this podcast knows what GDPR stands for. But now we hear of a data act that is proposed by the European Commission the group of people that develop a lot of acts that then can become a binding law throughout the EU if it goes through the EU process. This is really quite interesting. Uh, according to the Financial Times, this data act is proposed as we sit here in February, in March of 2023, is arguably the most important legislation for Europe's digital transformation that just like GDPR is no doubt going to have global consequences. And what the commission's doing here, if it all comes to become binding law in the EU, is to regulate and ensure fairness in the digital environment broadly, to stimulate a competitive data market, and to open up opportunities for innovation in the data field. And so it implements, uh, for example, the data portability concept in its data sharing, and it encourages the facilitation of customers switching from one cloud service provider to another. Uh, things that uh, cloud service providers who have a huge uh, data uh, consumer base, they don't want that to happen. They want you to stick with them. So th this is going to be very far reaching. Hugo, talk to us a little bit about uh, what it would do with data sharing and protecting small and medium enterprises. Sure. Um, so this data act is uh it's 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 one of the group of legislations that is creating the european digital economy and as you mentioned gdpr being one of them one of them and a governmental a public sector law on uh i think it's like data services act um is part of another one and the key concept here is i think like you mentioned the data sharing of which is being able to let users or others share the data for their purposes to innovate further technology in the, the digital economy. So third parties can ask a company to basically share the data, not the hog it, right? So you don't have a monopoly on your data, which is a very interesting concept because I think that would be counter to how we think in the US or potentially in Asia. And it also has a very important aspect of it, which is you're able to have, so it's it's the extension of the data portability aspect. If you have a data with one service provider, and let's say, you know, you've always used your iPhone, and if you want to you, you wanna switch to a Android, you know, people couldn't really do that, right? It, it, it would take a long time. You would have Very to do it on your own. Yeah. But I think what this law would allow it is it would create a more seamless way of switching providers or people who have your data and who currently, you know, manage it to give it to another person. So there's a lot of opportunities, but at the same time, I think from a company's perspective, it, it might take away an edge a company has with, you know, having developed the technology, having managed the data. Now they have to freely just, you know, give it away. This may raise some issues with, you know, the private sector. And we might see some pushback, but currently this is what's being proposed. Right. And if you think about the EU, it really began as an, a European economic area. And it, it had a sharp focus on competition. And you can see the 
the effort here of the European Commission encouraging competition for smaller players to get involved and for monopolies not to govern any aspect of data. So it's kind of a mix of antitrust competition law and data law, but it's not just about personal privacy at all. I think the main thrust is company data. Would that be accurate? That's right. But we don't know, unless you go, you've got a clear answer. Is this going to then clash with GDPR about personal data? Is personal data cover? Is that going to be an issue if this act gets gets to be law? I don't think so. Uh, I think this is more of the private you know, what we would call the aggregated data rather than the personal data. The personal data would still be governed by uh, the GDPR. It would um, not be changed. So those rules right. that we pretty much become familiar with, although it continues to unfold, those would be in place and this would be overlaid by rules about how businesses can compete with each other and how consumer would have rights to transfer their data, get a new cloud provider, get a new iPhone. That's right. Terrific. This is really quite interesting, and surely the rest of the world will be grappling with the same topics. And if Europe does this, it'll it'll be a benchmark. Well, Mike, Hugo, thank you so much for joining us today on, on a tour of these three subjects. Join us again, listeners, the first Thursday in April for a review of three notable developments that are occurring in March of 2023. We'll, we'll find out what the top three are. In our next episode, we're going to have Dan Freckling with us. Dan's going to give us a tour of the digital advertising ecosystem. We've touched on it today. That's the world of pop-up ads and businesses, entire business models built on advertising, surveillance, tracking, where we are the product whose data is bought and sold and used far beyond what we maybe think is happening. So tune in. Thanks as always. I'll close our session by reminding us all protecting your personal data begins with you.